Thanks for listening to Bezier. Bezier is sponsored by Superhigh, online courses for code, design, and product management. Superhigh's courses can be done in your own home at your own pace. I've been a Superhigh student since 2017 and have gone from being a designer feeling alienated by the should designers code discourse to building my own sites and now even selling web design services. My favorite part of Superhigh is the community of learners. As a Superhigh student, you're added to this huge community of all the other Superhigh students. It's filled with inspiring people from all over the world in all different places in their careers. I've gotten work there, I found podcast guests there, and even made in-person friends, all because of Superhigh. It's easy to get started. There's an online code editor. You can do it on your own schedule. There's built-in community of learners. It's got everything you need. Start learning to code, design, or product manage today at superhigh.com. I like to have my guests introduce themselves. Could you share a bit about yourself? Hey, yeah, I'm Rosie, and I am actually a recent grad. I just graduated in May, so I'm pretty junior in product design. I majored in information systems and specialized in human-centered computing. And outside of that, I've just been doing some freelance projects and working on a rock climbing app called Rocks. Usually I like to ask what people do outside of work as well, but I can I assume rock climbing is part of that? Yes, definitely. So I had been working on it originally because I saw a lot of issues in, I mean, just in the outdoor adventure industry in general and and how there's not a lot of people who look like me in the field. And um, just in general, it's it's hard to find climbers as well as um, a way to organize your gear. And it's also just mostly white men. So I'm hoping that this app will sort of change that and make it more inclusive and accessible, especially to underrepresented minorities. That sounds amazing. What pronouns do you use? Um, she slash her. So I'd love to ask you a little bit about what you're up to now. But before we get into that, you mentioned that you went to a university for information systems? systems yeah. Services? Services. Yeah, information systems. So it was kind of a wacky field of pretty, or just a non-traditional path into design. Um, I, it's more of kind of the business and tech side of everything. And through that, I was introduced very briefly into UX and I really enjoyed it. So then I started taking more classes and kind of having a minor in human-centered computing and um, kind of, I had to sort of teach myself more of the prototyping, but I was able to get a lot of experience with the UX research side, as well as having this very broad understanding of kind of how the whole thing works with technical constraints and the business constraints since I went to a business school. You know, some people argue that uh, design education should be based in business school. How do you feel about that? I uh, very much disagree <laughs> um, being in a business school. So I, I definitely have some some beef with, with the business school I attended just because um, they didn't focus too much on tech until really my senior year when I was able to take classes in my actual major before that it was a lot of accounting and finance and a lot of these broader things and I think that it's good to have an understanding of of business needs and to have maybe some classes or background on marketing strategy things like that and and have a more like holistic understanding of it but I don't know I think that it's it's more important to unleash like the creative side and I, I always wish that I majored in like 
I, I went to art school or like graphic design or something because I got all of these like this understanding of the technical and business constraints and everything. But I think that especially for UX, there is so much more importance in the research and just empathy in general and, and you know, having a liberal arts co- college education where it's you have a more holistic understanding of your users and being able to empathize with them. I mean, I think it's it's good to know the business side of it and how it's going to work end to end and to be able to communicate with business people. But, you know, for UX, empathy is pretty much the most important thing. I did go to art school and I always said, I wish I took more business classes. So maybe it's somewhere between the two. And I think, I think you're onto something with maybe it's, we all should take liberal arts degrees. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. (laughs) So you said you're freelancing now. Can you talk a little bit more about like, what, what does that look like? What kind of freelance work are you doing? Yeah, I'm searching right now for a full-time opportunity and I've been expending most of my energy there, but I just did a little bit of work with, um, I did some stuff with Adikar and just helped improve their website and did some UX stuff pro bono, but mostly did UI development. Um, and then I'm, I've been working a lot on this app. Outside of that, um, just throughout my undergraduate education, I would just do some freelance in terms of like, if someone needs a website to be made, I would um, develop and design that and just kind of finding opportunities where I can outside of the academic setting. You know, I, I really believe in the idea of like putting stuff out in the universe and it manifesting. And especially with we've sort of started building this great little community around this show. What kind of job and opportunity are you looking for? Maybe we can uh, make some magic happen through through the power of the Bezier community. Yeah, definitely. Well, I honestly, I'm pretty swamped in interviews right now, which is so great to say because at the beginning of my job search, it was so hard to get anything. Um, obviously, I got a lot more attention with that chatbot that I made and when it went viral. But definitely, I want to be somewhere that has. So I think I think one thing that's really important for people who are younger, you know, recent grads, and you know, the job market is really tough for us, especially throughout a pandemic. I think at the beginning, I was really willing to compromise or settle for something less than what I wanted. And so I think it's really important to not lose sight of that. Like for me, I want some to be somewhere that um, is an open and kind environment that has a good company culture that, you know, makes me feel welcome as a woman of color and has like diversity and inclusion practices in place, not just in statements, but in the team and, and how they approach work. Um, And on top of that, I want to be in a place with good mentorship and ongoing growth opportunities. So there are things I I definitely look for. I'm still open to job opportunities, but I'm kind of in final stages with a few places right now that I'm excited about. So we'll see where I end up. (laughs) That is great to hear. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, You mentioned that viral chatbot app. For those who don't know, maybe you could describe that one. Definitely. So I um, kind of hit the ground running and <laughs> designed Twitter. I kind of came in with this controversial chatbot that I built. So I originally made it. It's it's a little thing on it's a little widget on my uh, portfolio website. So I originally made it so that recruiters could come onto my website and be able to um, be able to you know, ask basic questions that I would always get in phone call interviews, things like, you know, what are your goals? What is, 
what is your work experience, things like that. And I thought that would be like a cute creative thing to put on there. But then just in the height of all the protests and as well as every job I was applying to or like looking into, I would always spend so much time seeing what they do for diversity and inclusion. Because like I said, that's really important to me. And so I, I added a little statement onto the bot where before the recruiter can engage with it, it the first thing it asks are, are you a recruiter, yes or no? And if they say yes, then it asks, do you believe that Black Lives Matter? And then they have the option to say either, yes, Black Lives Matter or all lives matter. And so if they say all lives matter, I, I just respectfully say, thanks, but I no thanks. <laughs> and if they say yes, then it continues. It basically kind of blocks out and filters people who don't really see that as an issue um, or see it as a political thing when it's the human rights issue that should be integrated in all um, in all parts of design, really. And so, you know, I tweeted about it thinking it would get like, you know, just like 10 likes from <laughs> some people in design Twitter that I'm that are my mutuals, but it blew up. It got it, it went viral and um, and everyone in design Twitter like had something to say about it. So it was really interesting, like the dialogue that it opened up and. I had mostly positive feedback, but I also did get a lot of negative responses too. And it was just really interesting to see everyone's reactions to it, especially because, you know, it's just a bot. <laughs> That's something I think people forgot at the end of the day. I would, it was funny because I can, I can look through some of the messages because um, I used dialogue flow and I can go through the history of, of what, how people are interacting with the bot, which is again, you know, just a bot, not real. And it's so funny, people would spend like, you can see the time that they're engaging with it too. People would spend like 30 minutes talking to this bot and being like, all lives matter. Oh my God, really? Yeah. Wow. Well, first off, I love it. it. That is really fantastic. And it's, um, as you were talking about, like the types of companies that you're looking or specifically the types of teams you were looking to work with, um, that's that's sort of like table stakes and it's um, unfortunate how um, controversial that might be in our industry. Mm-hmm. I definitely, and and it sucks because before I, before I, like I said, before it was just a recruiter chatbot and I had a, like an internal debate with myself. I was like, should I put this filter on? Like it would help me in weeding out these people. But then like, I don't know, I'm already like, struggling with opportunities will it make it worse and I'm glad that I went through with it but it sucks that that's something that I had to think about because you know it really should just be like it's it's such a it's seen as unprofessional and like a a political issue when you know it's a human rights issue it shouldn't really be a political thing so that was uh, but I, I again I was really happy with the reception I got with it and design twitter's response and that kind of restored a bit of my faith in tech I also feel like it would be great if that was a question that recruiters ask candidates, especially Mm -hmm. in our industry. (laughs) Yeah, no, for sure. I I mean, like you're already seeing sort of the micro implications of teams that aren't diverse and how it's affecting, you know, just the the racial bias and algorithms, you know, like how Zoom blocked out. like couldn't recognize black people and how Twitter's cropping algorithm was that they, they were cropping out people who were, who were not white pretty much. So 
Yeah, and unfortunately, it's still so, I believe. Uh, I haven't seen any changes from the Twitter cropping algorithm since that sort of came to light and went viral. There's been some interesting experiments out there. Yeah, if, you, uh, if you're listening and are less aware of, of that, maybe I can link like an article about it in the show notes. But um, really interesting, like obvious bias built into things that are supposedly like automated. Right. And it's very, I think it's interesting. Um, well, it, something that's been really awesome with this whole job search is I've been exposed to a variety of different companies and there's just so much cool stuff being built right now that I'm really excited about the future of tech and everything where I, I feel like it's going to shift from this two dimensional thing where, you know, we're designing screens in Figma or whatever to sort of this more three dimensional space where, and where it's not really, the UX is just not really defined for that yet for augmented reality and spatial computing. And so it's really cool being exposed to some companies that are working on that and doing you know, neurotechnology where they're, they can read the signals, the muscle signals you're sending um, through your body to literally read your mind or like just stuff like that being made um, where moving forward into that, it's so important. It's more important now than ever to have diversity in your workforce and to be with people who are helping fight this racial bias in the algorithms. Because if you're moving forward with technology as it dominates more parts of our lives and as we head into this era of like AR and everything, and, and we're still having this issue of people of color and women not being recognized and facial recognition and things we're just it's just going to get worse and worse from there as it dominates more aspects of our lives i like to ask people about like what their day-to-day looks like what like a typical work day looks like i'm wondering would you prefer to talk about like a work day doing your freelance work or would you like to give people an insight to what it's like to be job searching um i think a lot of people in the industry don't job search that often. You know, some people stay in a job for a long time. Some people, once they get into the industry and have some, you know, impressive portfolio work or the right connections, they end up, you know, getting jobs without interviewing or without like applying per se. Yeah. Whichever you'd like to talk about, I think we'd be all interested in hearing. Yeah. I, I can tell more about the day-to-day job search, I guess. It doesn't, it's not so much day-to-day. It's kind of like, it's interesting because you're you have to, there's a lot of waiting for people to respond to you. That's a huge part of it. And then there's a lot of feeling like you need to be doing something at all times, even though you don't have <laughs> something to be doing at all times. One great thing that I mean, just trying to stay optimistic. I do like all the time I've been having, you know, just being unemployed and being in a pandemic, so having to stay home. I feel like I've had a lot of time to explore different designs and that I wouldn't normally get into or be able to do. For instance, the chatbot, I would have never gone into conversational AI design, but I just did it as an experiment and it was, it was fun. There's a lot of opportunity there. Um, I got really into animations and motion graphics and teaching myself um, different skills there, but the job search in general, you know, I, I think it, one thing that's, that's a common misconception about it is that you're just like mass applying to things or whatever. And I think it's good to stay organized and having an Excel sheet or like a notion document of place you've applied and how it's going. But it's a lot of like connecting with people and having these types of conversations and being able to 
network and be able to get your foot into the door from there rather than like spending your day looking up stuff on LinkedIn and applying to it. But yeah, I've been trying to keep myself busy through working on more stuff with my portfolio and everything. And then I would have like, there was at one point where I would have like three interviews a day or like, um, which, which vary from the initial HR call to the portfolio review and the slide deck and everything where you, you show your, your work to like seven different people on a Zoom call. Um, it definitely varies day to day, but it's really interesting. I, I feel like I've been exposed to so many different companies and industries and I'm really excited about everything that's being built right now. You mentioned teaching yourself conversational UI and animation. How do you how do you go about learning those things? If someone wanted to approach trying to learn conversational UI, like is there online resources? Do you like to buy books? Do you connect with somebody in the field doing it already? How do you like to learn by yourself? I just rely on YouTube a lot of the time. I think that there's so many great resources just on the internet and it's a lot of just doing it. I think one thing that's really hard is that we get stuck in reading about it and like trying to learn as much as we can before we dive into it, which which is good to stay prepared and organize and get as many resources as you can. But I think it's really, it, you you get the most experience and practical work from just diving into it. So like, for instance, with the, the whole chatbot, um, I just looked into different types of chatbots and I just dove into it before I could really think too much about it. Um, I mapped out what the exit and entry points would be and did kind of a user flow of how I would want a conversation to look like. And I did, it, it, it was a lot of just like doing it using dialogue flow to, to input my intents and everything. And if I ran into a certain problem or if I was like, you know, it'd be cool if I could integrate this feature, then I could search that specifically. And then that really helped me in figuring figuring out like what exactly I need and how I can get it in a resourceful way. So I feel like you've already given some really good advice to junior people that are in a similar position of job searching and trying to learn new things. What about more senior designers? Like what, what, what advice do you have for them? What would you like them to hear? Yeah, definitely. So I think that um, there's so much gatekeeping in this industry, especially for young people, for people of color, for women, etc. Um, and there's so many I just read an article the other day about this person who was applying for something at Webflow and someone tweeted, I don't remember who it is, like someone just tweeted, like, we want like black and indigenous people of color to apply. And then they like ignored all the black and indigenous people who were trying to apply and they got exposed in this article. So, I mean, just things like that, you know, don't do that. <laughs> don't be a dick. I feel like it's the biggest takeaway. Um, I had, uh, with the chatbot, I had a lot of different, receptions and feedback to it and one of it was a an email I got from a senior designer at Apple that I I sort of exposed on Twitter which I do wish I went about that in like a different um, maybe more professional way but basically he sent me this huge email that was like you know all lives do matter this this bot is ideological bigotry and um all this stuff and I thought yeah it's just it's I think it's it's one thing to for for a white person to send that to a person of color, but it's another thing to be a senior in your field sending that to a junior. And I think that that's 
um, that's a prime example of people who shouldn't be senior designers. You know, you should be empathetic people. You're designing for these users and you're in this position of power. And if you're doing using that to bring juniors down rather than empowering them and mentoring them and bringing them to to a place of of empowerment, then you're not really contributing to design in the best way. So I think for senior designers, biggest thing is to empower juniors by, you know, offering mentorship and and not just like doing it in a really um, superficial way where you're just doing a portfolio review, but, you know, following up with people, trying to connect them with people that you know, and doing what you can to really help them rather than just being like, you know, I don't like the font on your portfolio or something. I think I would add to that in that personally, I think that we need to, as an industry, have higher standards for who we give that power to and who becomes a senior designer. And it shouldn't just be based on the work output they have. Um, because like you said, those people become senior people in our field. They become mentors, they become gatekeepers. And it's important that it's not like, I don't know about this particular Apple employee, but like mediocre white men that fail upwards. Like it, it's not, <laughs> that shouldn't be the bar for like who we let become senior people in our field. Yeah, and it was really interesting when I did tweet about it. There was there was so much discourse. If if you want to follow it at all, the tweet is still up there. But um, there was a lot of debate about you know does it matter? Why does it? Why do why do you care that he is a senior designer here at this, at this company? And like why is this like such a big deal? People are overreacting, and I think that that's that was a pretty disheartening statement and something that I received a lot, but it's like, you know, I think something that people don't really get is that it it matters a lot and you're seeing, you're seeing its implications just in these, in, in these algorithms and racial bias algorithms and, and how it's carrying over through industries and how lack of diversity, lack of empathy is causing a lot of dangerous things, you know, and and yeah, I think that when people bring up that question, you know, does it matter um, and and how people think we get caught up in the language of, you know, why are you why are you being so stingy about like this all lives matter? You're just like turning allies against you. I think that, you know, if you are an ally, you should be educating yourself and not and also not waiting for someone to teach you as don't wait for me or don't wait for any person of color to to help you learn these things when there's so many resources out there. I think that's a big thing is that you should be educating yourselves at all times, especially in like the climate that we're in right now. And, and yeah, I think that um, when people say, does it matter? Like it, it clearly does. And you're seeing the effects in the tech industry. If you do think it doesn't matter. Yeah. My question to those people that, that think like, why do you bother? It's like, why don't you, you know, <laughs> It's, it's what you don't have an issue with this. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, you're seeing it in text so much to like, wish with things being built. I know I read something like maybe four or five years ago of like, I think it was Norris point. They were basically their software was being made for risk assessment for um, crime and, and criminal assessment um, that help like determine like, how much bond is going to be and things like that. But the software was determined to be racist pretty much because it would, it, it, it would like 
assess whether or not that person would how likely they were to to commit a crime again and they were like if and there was a study on it and it was like if they were white they were less likely to commit it again if they were black like their crime rate was higher even if they didn't commit crimes and so just things like that that's one example there's so many other things being built like defense and things like that that it's facial recognition being used for police Uh, there's so many things so many areas where this is going to be impacting so many people life or death and like you can't really turn a blind eye even though it seems really small like oh man this apple employee just sent this weird message like it has way bigger implications in the long run yeah i don't i don't think that we're ever as a collective or you and i sitting here in this one hour going to come up with the solution to our problems but yeah, sure. how do you what, what do you think about solving the problems of all these bigotries in our industry from racism and sexism and these other biases. And I don't know. I mean, we, we always do the like list of isms for this part of the show, but like, how, how do we, how do you look at it and how do we as a community try and undo some of the damage? It's so hard because it, it's, there's like unconscious hiring practices and just things like that where people don't even realize that they're doing it. Um, I think one of the biggest things is that we just, we really just do need more di- diversity in tech in general. Like we need these people who are running the ML algorithms and collecting the training set data for them. Like they, they just, they're overwhelmingly white and that's where we're seeing the, the consequences of that. So it seems it's easier said than done, but you know, we have to hire more diversity and there has to be more standards in place to make sure that that's not just like tokenizing thing where it's they're they're contributing and they feel safe contributing and that's where we're going to see more effects is having more um which which is hard because you can't it's really hard to just change a culture overnight but that's what we need to work on um so that we find and see the effects of that diversity in the workplace I also think there's this element that you brought up of like the algorithm. And I think that sometimes that we hear in response is that designers said that, that, you know, the algorithm is not my responsibility. I didn't code the algorithm. What would you say to that? I think that even though, and and I think that's, it's, it's interesting too, because, you know, as a, as a UX designer, I always feel like, you know, we're, we're not like the engineers. So it's, it's hard. We're kind of detached from the, the actual ML and the coding of everything but we do have the power to speak out and to we're the ones that are designing user flows and things like that. And we have the power to, especially if you're in a team uh, in a diverse team that will have more innovative thought there, there, you do have a lot of power there to affect or speak out and, and change the course of how that'll run before it gets deployed. Yeah. I think that one of the things I'm kind of hopeful of is this um, now with coronavirus um, that, Hopefully, a lot of these tech companies are going more remote on a more permanent basis. Do you feel like the geography diversity will actually help with the diversity of the workforce? I think that's that's a hard one to answer because, again, I'm not really in the the workforce yet, so I haven't seen the effects of that. But I think that just in general, if you are you have a larger range of of location and of people, then you should hopefully see that effect. But again, it definitely depends on who you're hiring. 
diversity of and the teams and um, making that culture and environment more welcoming and kind to support that. So there have been sustained Black Lives Matter protests since the day that George Floyd was murdered. And a lot of the time there's a conversation about people meeting the moment. And I think that Facebook and YouTube, among many other companies, but those I, I always like to call it specifically, have not met the moment and have really failed us all for a plethora of reasons. What would you say to someone that's a designer at one of those companies? That's also hard. And I, this is so funny because I just was reading a, a thread on Twitter or just like dialogue on Twitter about this the other day about like, you know, are you inherently evil if you're working at Facebook? And it is sort of hard. Um, I don't remember which designer I follow who is a black person at Facebook who is saying like, you know, we're, we're trying to, we're not like betraying anyone by being here. We're like trying to do our part internally to increase diversity and help fight this. But it's also really hard because of their history and everything that they've done and how it affected everything from, from politics to our daily lives. I think that for designers that are, that are out in those companies and are knowingly contributing to the hatred, the xenophobia or anything like that, that says a lot about them as a person. But I guess if you're there trying to make a change and you're not just you're not just telling that to yourself to make yourself feel better, but you're really like actively trying to do that, then I think that's great too. I don't know. It's hard because it's really hard to judge people. Um, we don't know what their situations are and yeah. And like what, what their circumstances are, how much they need the money. But yeah, I, I, I struggle with that one a lot because just like, there's no right. There's, it's not like a black and white, like Facebook is evil. Don't work for them. There's so many other circumstances and I've, I don't know. They, I just wish their history was not as problematic as it was, as it is. Yeah. It's, it's a very hard question to answer and it's pretty complex yeah. <laughs> for sure. Um, who is one person that all of our listeners should know about? Okay. I, if you don't know who Janelle Monet is, I would say stream her right now. She is incredible. She's like a queer black feminist icon and she also just released a song um, for the first time in like a few years that is like the political anthem. And I always love introducing that her to um, to tech people because she has like her whole vibe or her whole theme is like um, just sci-fi tech type of stuff she incorporates in her music. So it's, it's fun. I really like her stuff and she's just, she's always speaking out against every issue and um she's in so many good movies and stuff too if you don't know her look her up look at her work i i really like that she released a a music video with her lazy song and called it an emotion picture which i think is like so beautiful (laughs) yes and the emotion picture is so good too because it's 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 done it's done in such a black mirror way but it's exploring like being locked up, having her identity locked up and not being able to ex- express. It's like queer, black. I don't know. It, it, there's, it, it's just so good. <laughs> I won't dive into it. I just want to say, if you haven't seen it, go watch Dirty Computer. Uh, I'm, I'm a huge fan also, so um, <laughs> I will put a link to Dirty Computer in the show notes. <laughs> um, what about reading? What book do you think everyone should read? 
Yeah, so like I said before, I am the UX designer and I'm kind of unfortunately sort of removed from the ML side of everything, like just the coding and engineering. And so one book I really love and would recommend if you want to kind of get better understanding of AI ethics and stuff. I really like The Ethical Algorithm by Michael Kearns. Um, it's it's super technical, which there are some things I, I didn't totally comprehend, but it, I think it does a really good job in kind of addressing privacy and fairness constraints in ML and algorithm design. And then it also covers a lot with like this huge de- debate between prioritizing accuracy versus prioritizing the ethics of designing models. And and I, I really like how it doesn't it doesn't just talk about the issues and the consequences of not integrating ethical constraints, but it also kind of starts to brainstorm methods for improving these algorithms and trying to think of some solutions like differential privacy and the correlated equilibrium and things like that. So that is a book I would totally recommend. Um, I also really like, I I haven't finished it yet, but Future Ethics is really good so far. Um, And yeah, I actually need to renew that at the library. That reminds me. (laughs) Those are absolutely fantastic recommendations. And I love the library plug at the end there. I think more people should support their local libraries. So I like that. (laughs) Um, so I believe everyone should get paid for their time so what we do on this show is for all the guests that have been on the show we split the the profits from our advertisers and swag sales there's swag Bezier swag for people to purchase as well outside of that is there any way that our listeners can support you Uh, yeah for sure so like I said I'm working on that climbing app so if you're interested in it at all you can go to rocksapp.co and join the waiting list for it um, you can check, you can reach me at my website at rosiemaharjan.com. And, you know, if you want to link up, check out my work, you can go ahead and do that. Um, I'm also on Twitter at Rosie Maharjan and my illustrations and animations are on at rosie.png on Instagram. My next question was going to be, where's the best place for people to find you? Yeah. So in lieu of that, uh, because you answered that question already, I did want to ask you about your illustration work because some people see that as very, very different from UX work. So uh, yeah, do you want to share anything about your illustration work? I mean, I hope people will go look at it because it's the best way for people to take an illustration. But <laughs> Yeah, no, definitely. I have you been using it more of an outlet for like creative expression I've, it, my illustrations are also increasingly political um and so it's just kind of another creative outlet for me and I originally made it just to hold myself accountable and try to keep up with making more digital illustrations and animations um but yeah I think honestly obviously it's different from UX design but it's a really good additional skill to add on top of UX. Just having any other outlet of visual design, I think is really great. I think people tend to see it as more of just like exclusively graphic design or illustrations, but like, I don't know, it's it's some way to really continue honing your craft and being able to grow in multiple ways as a designer. If you'll excuse the little personal story, I had this design director, um, Paco Vignoli, who was my manager at Square for a while. And he one day walked in it with a like one of those model, those balsa wood model boats that you have mm-hmm. to assemble with like glue and a knife. And he said that it was really important to cultivate your creativity in a different way than you do with your job. 
And mm-hmm. so I'm, I very much believe, and, and I think that, you know, through my experience doing that, I agree completely. So I, I love that you have that outlet. And I think that's really solid advice for people. Too. Yeah, no, and it's just really fun to, like I said, I hadn't really touched motion graphics at all until March when the pandemic started. And it's been like one of my favorite forms of design just to explore and challenge myself. So I don't know, I think it's always fun to just find new ways to explore design. And I think most designers that I know, they're not strictly UX design. They they have other forms and outlets. Yeah, I mean, UX design, uh, I'm sure it existed in some form for a long time. But to me, it seems like a newer field. So I hope that most of these designers have some other types of background. And I would imagine that what what we call ourselves in 10 years will not be UX design. So... Yeah, and I'm I'm really curious how it'll change in general with um, the emergence of like AR and everything, and how as we move into spatial computing and 3D planes, how product design is going to be looking <laughs> like ten years from now. I don't know if the, the 2D design job is going to even exist. Uh, it's one of those things that like change is hard for everybody, and some people like to embrace change, like myself. But um, it, I think it's one of those things that creates gatekeeping in our industry. Is people mm-hmm. the fear that they have of that change when you start talking, you know, about like what it could look like? I imagine like am I going to have to learn how to design in VR world or? Am I going to have to learn how to write in a chatbot or algorithms? Or And I think that causes a lot of gatekeeping as people just like resisting the change by like asserting their current position in our field. Mm-hmm. And I, I experienced that quite a bit just in my undergraduate education of, um, and I think anyone who goes to school and is studying HCI, they probably experience this in some form of your professor's are very outdated and and kind of traditional. So they're not really giving you up-to-date information or maybe you've experienced one professor or so who does that where they, you know, they worked at Microsoft or whatever back in the day, but they're not as up-to-date with, um, and design is constantly evolving. So like just how everyone suddenly is using Figma when Sketch was norm for so long, just things like that where you have to be able to constantly adapt and evolve and be flexible and change while also making it accessible still. I think that what you're saying about the gatekeeping is so relevant. And as we as we evolve more, there's more, I mean, tech is so expensive in the first place. You know, you just, the Adobe Creative Cloud and, and having an iPad, things like that are all really privileged things and things that make design so much more accessible and easy where people that that can't really afford that, it's harder for them to get into design. So I think that, that's always something to, to keep in mind when for, for younger designers too, is that like you have to support and understand like where they're coming from and, and understanding that some people have access and privilege to these things and some people don't, but they should, I, everyone's in drive and passion is kind of what should be the metric there. Rosie, thank you so much for being on Bezier. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our audience before we wrap up? I really enjoyed being on this podcast as well. I guess just keep fighting, (laughs) keep fighting for Black Lives Matter. It's something that is, I I feel like it's was sort of a trend, which was a little bit disheartening to see. Um, And so I would say, you know, don't, don't let it just be a trend, especially as we're (laughs) moving forward into the election. Just, 
you know, don't forget what all those protests were for and how we can integrate that further into our workplace and to tech in general. Bezier is a design interview podcast amplifying voices in our creative communities that don't already have large platforms and aren't working at big five tech companies. We focus on finding guests from all over the world and representative of as many of us as possible. If you have a great guest idea for Bezier, please email us at inquiry at zoct.studio. That's I-N-Q-U-I-R-Y at Z-A-C-H-T dot studio.